the things I learned quickly was I was things I was really good at and there was things I was not good at. And understanding that it's okay to not be good at some things as long as I had the ability to recruit someone who is really good in those positions. So the whole idea is that, you know, the strength overused can become a, a deficit or the same thing as a, a weakness acknowledged can become an asset. Well, acknowledging weaknesses in, in recruiting and making sure we were able to build scaffolding, I called it, around our corporate culture to be able to bring people in to so to show them where they could come in and be a superstar at certain positions where we needed it, helped the team, helped confidence, and helped us grow. Welcome to the Edge of Excellence podcast. This show is for current and aspiring leaders that are dedicated to showing up every day in their lives with excellence. We break down the careers of those excelling so you can understand what is out there and how to rise up in every field you choose. Let's get the show on the road, shall we? Your host has spent his life promoting global entrepreneurship, helping 20-somethings find their passion and working to help others achieve excellence. CEO of CollegeWorks, Matt Stewart. Welcome to the show. We've got a great one for you today. Don't forget to share it with your friends. We've got Chris Kraus, founder, ex-president, ex-CEO of NCSA. Remember NCSA? They sent you a bunch of emails when you were in high school trying to help you get into college and help you get scholarships. National Collegiate Scholarship Association. Chris is going to talk about having a life plan, having a growth plan, smart goals, and accountability to it. He's always aimed high. He's going to talk about aiming high, ignoring the naysayers, and finding options. He's going to talk about the power of relationships. And when excellence is achieved, you won't have to ask. Welcome to the show and welcome to the Edge of Excellence. Well, Chris Krause, thank you for coming out of the ocean, off the wave, down from the mountain home from Hawaii, wherever you're coming from today with your NCSA sweatshirt on, making time for the Edge of Excellence. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Matt. Pleasure to be on. Well, I want to start off, and I can't wait for this answer. I want to start off the way I always start off. What is Chris Krause's definition of excellence? Well, excellence. That's a great question, Matt. Um, you know, I, I kind of go back to my sixth grade year when I was a little football player. My dad would, you know, come to my game and I would go after the game. I said, dad, how did I do? And he said, son, he goes, you know, you know, when you do really well, you won't have to ask me. And I'm like, wow. And it, uh, you know, at that point, I really didn't think a lot about it, but 50 years later, I look back and I, and I think about how much that left with me and helped me help shape my view of excellence. So, you know, the idea is excellence is when you know, when you're doing a really good job and you don't have to ask someone to get a pat on the back is kind of my, my go-to, but then you start thinking about, you know, is it the best 1%? And I said, well, if the one, if the top 1% is, is, is really good, I'm thinking you got to start thinking about the 0.1%, you know, not just be one in a, you know, in a hundred or even one in a, one in a thousand at point one or point oh one, you know, start becoming you know one of uh, of the best in class. You know, maybe one in a million. You know, that's 
you know, my vision. And, and depending on how, how hard you want to work, you can put your decimal points as far as you want to go. And is that in business? Is that in sports? Is that in travel? What is that in top, top point, what percent and what? I think that's what, whatever's, whatever is important to you. I think, you know, if it's, if, if you want to be excellent at uh, being a dad, you know, what are the things that, that uh, the connections you have with your kids, you want to be excellent at being a husband and how you cherish your relationship with your spouse. Uh, you want to be excellent with your family and friends. Do you make time? Do you walk the walk as opposed to just talking the talk? And then obviously you can talk about academics. You can talk about business. You could talk about financial. You could talk about athletics in terms of how fit you are. I mean, you can put excellence into a lot of different buckets, which, um, which I try to do in, in putting together my life plan and, uh, you know, the me tool thing that you and I have, have worked a lot on over the years in terms of trying to you know, hold ourselves accountable and reach the goals and, and live full, uh, fulfilled lives that have meaning. So basically, you pick what you want to be excellent at. And I know for Chris Krause, there's a lot of things you picked. You set the bar high. You aim for the top 0.1%. You're going to have to work hard. It's going to take a while. And when you don't have to ask if you're there, you're there. You're excellent. That's pretty good, Matt. That's kind of what I've used. And it's like when I look at my paper uh, and I look at myself in the mirror and I know, God damn, I've done nine out of 10 things on this list. I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about myself, but then it's time to make a new list. All right. And I've been involved and you mentioned it. Chris Krause and I go way back. I've actually heard that story of your dad saying that to you numerous times. But Chris and I go way back. We go way back to when neither of us were excellent. We go way back when we were both aspiring. We met each other on the steps of something outside in Chicago with the giant band dressed in purple, which is your company colors. And I know you organized that event. So I think it's no coincidence that NCSA and that band had the same colors. But before you were super excellent, and, I, and maybe you were already, you know, Chris got a scholarship to, uh, and I'll tell the story because I know you so well. Chris got a scholarship to play football at Vanderbilt, which is the number 14 country in the nation. You don't get to go to Vanderbilt. Nobody gets to go there unless you're really doing well in school. And Chris was doing really well in school, but so was everybody else on his team or a lot of people on the team. Chris was playing good football. So were a lot of people on the team. Chris got to college and noticed no one else on his team got to college. And when you look at the picture of the people on the team, Chris was the white guy and everybody else wasn't. And Chris decided this doesn't work. So probably everybody listening right now in their car on 1.5 speed has heard of NCSA. Probably everybody listening has received emails from NCSA because NCSA built by Chris to take care of a problem. He found a problem. He didn't think it was fair. He didn't think it was right. He didn't think it was the American way. So he founded next college student athlete NCSA athletic recruiting to help people get into college and get scholarships. And now it's been like more than 25 years. Over 100,000 student athletes have received $8 billion in scholarships. So congratulations on following your passion. Chris sold the business to reigning champs or sold half the business. Is still working there as I believe chairman. And he's here today to talk about his path. So let's go back to that football team. And I think it was Southside Chicago you played football in high school, right? Yeah, North, North Chicago High School. Yeah, it was uh, in the you know, Lake County, Illinois, and about 30 minutes outside of Chicago, right? 
So tell us what was life like in high school? Were you on the path to excellence? What was going on? What were you doing to get ahead? You know, high school was, uh, you know, it, it was interesting going from, uh, you know, even back a little further, I went to a little Catholic grade school. So we played eight man football and there was about 30 kids in my, in my, uh, in my class. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, what, uh, you know, going back to my dad, you know, they, he said, if you're going to play sports, you better, you better get all A's and B's. And if you get a C, you're not going to play. Well, in seventh grade, I got a C one time and I was forced to not play the, uh, the spring, um, the spring season. We played softball at that time and I had to sit out. And from that, I, I never got to see after that. So having my parents that really emphasized academics was really important and, and making sure that, you know, I, I knew that if I didn't get good grades, I couldn't play. Uh, that was a great motivator for me. So you're in, you're in high school and, uh, uh, you're, in a kind of a rougher high school in Chicago, your dad sets this bar for you. You test him because kids always test. You found out he was serious. You're a good Catholic boy, even though you said the Lord's name in vain on this podcast. We're going <laughs> to pretend like you never said it. I've never heard you say that before in the 25 years I've known you. Um, but your dad's a mentor to you. You find that mentorship in your dad. Not everybody listening has a dad or a mom that's a great mentor. We've talked about it on numerous shows. Go find a mentor. You get this uh, bar that you have to reach A's and B's and that kind of changed your life, right? You had to get A's and B's to stay in sports. You could have gotten a lot of C's and D's and stayed in sports if you had a different dad, but you needed A's and B's. And so you're getting good grades. You're playing sports in high school. It eventually gets you to uh, um, Vanderbilt. Anything else going on in high school that you're, that you're consciously doing to set yourself up for future success and excellence? Well, I, you know, I, I, I played three sports, which was fun because I started out playing uh, football, basketball and track. And then after two years of that, I just did, I started getting in the weight room and I just did football and track. So playing multiple sports helped keep me out of trouble. I think helped help keep me uh, fit and also taught me different coaching philosophies and it exposed me to different uh, levels of coaching and uh, levels of team sports and also leadership aspects of that, being able to be a team captain and that. So, so the idea of, of being able to play multiple sports and being a part of different teams and different team cultures, and also having a couple coaches who really, that I stay in touch with today is uh, this guy, coach Coleman, who took me under his wing when I was a freshman. And, you know, he, uh, he was a former, he played at, at North Chicago high school. He went on the college and played in the NFL for a few years. And, you know, he got me in the weight room and he got me believing in myself and uh, gave me a lot of, a lot of, you know, his, his give back to me has always been a big example of, of how much impact uh, um, having a mentor can have to a young kid and making you believe you could do something. And then the combination of being able to have someone who believed in me, teaching me skills on and off the field, keeping you know, my head straight, because there was a lot of, you know, a, a lot of things that other kids were doing in terms of partying and, and running around and getting in trouble that I could have easily gotten involved with that. I think knowing that sports was a priority of mine helped my decision-making process a ton and having someone who believed in me, who was motivating me in the classroom and in the weight room and on the field and said, Hey, you can play in college and, and you're going to go, you're going to go to college and you're going to be able to get a scholarship. And that's when I started seeing how much those academics meant to me afterwards. I'm like, wow, getting all A's and B's. I ended up finishing fifth in my class, which was a byproduct of just going to school every day, knowing I had to get A's and B's. And after four years, I'm like, wow, that was a pretty cool accomplishment that I really 
didn't see while I was in the forest. So you found me. So you, you got lucky. I got lucky. We both had dads as mentors. Not everybody's lucky. Then you're moving through life and you find more mentors and you find people that believe in you. And that's what I think is not luck. I've got kids that come to my house all the time. I got a 20 year old. I got a 16 year old. Their friends are here all the time. I tell them all the time. I believe in you. I tell them all the time. Hey, if you need any help, I help people get into college. I help people find their careers. I got this podcast. You should listen to this podcast. I've got this business. They don't do it. They don't ask. Only a few of them. Well, I actually got my friend, Brian Forbath. His kid wants to go to lunch, talk about internships. It doesn't happen that much. So there's a skill set. If you're listening right now, you have to go out and engage those different coaches, engage those different mentors. You have to actually act in a way to create that relationship. They can't just keep offering themselves. You've got to do something. So you did something. You're in three sports. You got different coaching, different leadership opportunities, different team dynamics. You're finding different mentors. Different people are telling you that they believe in you. And you could have not done that. You could have ignored those conversations. You could have been less positive. You could have, oh, that coach is just saying that because he has to and he gets paid to and miss the opportunity. But you latched on to the opportunity. You latched on to not fighting your dad, but just going with your dad. And next thing you know, you get accepted to Vanderbilt. Did you apply to other schools? You know, I, I, I really, um, I, the recruiting process was just uh, such a godsend to me because I was able to, you know, when I, by getting letters from colleges, they told me they were interested in me. And while everyone else was kind of pursuing colleges, on the athletic side, to have colleges pursue me, you know, I had, you know, Harvard, Yale, a lot of Ivy League schools, schools like Northwestern and Vanderbilt, which I probably would have never applied to because I'd had my ACT score wasn't really strong. And so a lot of people would have, you know, my, my guidance counselor would look at my, you know, my, my test scores and say, boy, you, these schools are a little out of your league. But in reality, all the college coaches were saying, don't worry about that. We can get you in. So, you know, I had a, a kind of a little, a little bit of a dilemma because the colleges were saying we can get in the college and we can get you in. And my guidance counselor was looking at my pure ACT and SAT score, which was not close to getting into any of those schools. And luckily by having sports, they were able to put together uh, tutoring opportunities and, and, and be able to get the class selection I needed to make sure I could get my major in and have the time to devote to get good grades in school. So it was it was kind of a, a really weird situation because I didn't, you know, I, I was looking at, I knew I had to pay for my school. My you know, At an early age, my mom and dad said, hey, your college is your responsibility. So I'm like thinking, God, what can I afford? So I'm thinking maybe I have to go to a junior college. Maybe I should go to a state school. And that was where the, my, you know, I was budgeted to go because I was going to pay for it myself. But on the other hand, by having sports be a part of my recruiting process, I was able to apply to more schools. I had the Air Force Academy and some of the um, military academies, as well as some state schools that I had opportunities to go to. I got my application fees waived. I didn't have to write the essays. So that was a dream come true in terms of having sports, being able to, to really propel me through this recruiting process, which a lot of kids are you know, losing sleep and, and, and having big problems going through, you know, where am I going to go to college? And sports has been, you know, I think if you could go through it and have the colleges recruit you versus you have to recruit the college, that's always a better way because you get admissions uh, fees waived and get into schools you'd never get into. And that's kind of what happened to me. So by the time people are listening to this podcast, they're in their twenties, they're pretty much crushing it already. 
they either already did the sports and used that to get into college or they didn't. The lesson I think that you can take if you're 25 and you're driving down the street, listen to this and you're wondering what you can take from that. Well, basically, you got naysayers everywhere, right? Some of them are professional. You got to ignore the naysayers. And you did apply to some of those schools the naysayers told you to apply to, but you applied to some bigger ones. You find options. So maybe it's too late to become a great. You must have been a great football player. It's too late to become a great football player in high school so you can go to college. But you can find other things to be great at that will open doors. 100%, 100%, Matt. I mean, that's that can be from, you know, you could be in the band and music. You could be uh, in a chess club. You can be a, you, know, you can be in a physics club. You can be in an entrepreneurship, have your own job there. I mean, there's a lot of different routes. And I think that was one thing I, you know, when you go to college, you think you're going to just go and take a major. And, you know, I, I was fortunate to, to get into a, a, the human development school at Vanderbilt, which really opened my eyes to a, a new career path that I didn't even know was out there. And so you're out of college now. Whoever's listening right now in their car, they're out of college. Go start a business today. Start a charity today. You want to go to grad school? You want to go to Vanderbilt grad school? You can do something in the next two years that sets you apart the way Chris in high school use football to set them apart, but let's get into the Vanderbilt now. So you go to Vanderbilt, everybody wants to go there. Beautiful place down in Tennessee. You got the music, you got the culture, you got those flowing lawns, you got those beautiful buildings. By the way, the Vanderbilt admissions counselors say, if you haven't taken at least six AP classes, don't even apply, which is very (laughs) discouraging. I think. Right. And I didn't take one. So that's what I got lucky. Unless you're a football (laughs) star, but you're at Vanderbilt. You find this human development major. What the heck is human development? Because I've never heard of that major before. And I spent a lot of time on campuses. And I hadn't heard of it either, Matt, at the time. All I knew is that I wanted to go. You know, I loved sports. So I figured if I can't be an NFL player, which was my number one goal, I figured I, I could be around sports somehow. And I thought about maybe going through physical therapy, becoming a physical therapist, where I could at least work with athletes and help them recover from injuries and still be around sports. So when I took my chemistry 102 A and B and started looking at going pre-med, I started realizing that, you know, there's 127 valedictorians in my freshman class. And, and, uh, <laughs> at the rate I was, the rate I was learning compared to the rate that a lot of the other kids were learning, I realized that, that med school was probably not in my future. But the cool thing was that the, uh, the guidance department had the foresight to see that this human development career path was a very cool path that really encouraged internships, encouraged entrepreneurship, and also helped you be able to look at different, uh, you know, human development can go across anything from human, you know, from, from HR departments within companies to, to training. And I started to read about what, what careers come out of human development. And the most fascinating one to me was the consulting space because it looked like a way where I could, number one, it, it was financially rewarding. You know, the consultants I saw were making, coming out of college, making 60, 70, $80,000 a year versus the, the kids that were going through the educational program, just becoming teachers were making $20,000 a year. So I thought, you know, financially motivation, but also to, to be able to, to put a resume together while you're in college. You know, one of the things that I, I was able to do with human development is we started to build a resume your freshman year of college. We started resume building. So as we started to look what the you know beginning with the end in mind, uh, you know, we I go back to like the Stephen Covey, you know, as far as being proactive and 
and as far as being proactive and beginning with the end in mind and putting first things first, to start putting a resume together while I was in college versus putting together after college, I started going on interviews. I went to Arthur Anderson and as a sophomore and I started saying, hey, I want to work at Arthur Anderson, be a consultant. And they're like, well, you know, are you, you know, so you graduated from what college? I'm like, no, I'm just a sophomore at Vanderbilt. And they're like, whoa, he's just a sophomore and he's already coming to apply and to find out what he needs to do to work at Arthur Anderson. They took my name down and they said, this is a guy that's being proactive. And I noticed, to, I noticed that a lot of these companies were really interested in keeping in touch with me because of the fact I was showing initiative way before everyone else made a big impact on being able to make a positive impression. Now that's back to what you were saying. You you aim high, you ignore the naysayers, you find options, even if the options don't exist yet, you show initiative and you're just, you're doing that in sports. You're doing that in college, 127 valedictorians in one class. Uh, I, I know that's the accurate number. How did you know there was 127 valedictorians in your one class? They, I don't know, they, they told me afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> I worked the hardest I've ever worked in my life to get a C in chemistry 102 A and B. <laughs> it was crazy. All right. So and you fail a couple of times. You pick yourself up. You dust yourself off. You try to analyze where you're headed and you're starting to feel good about human development. It's starting to align with who you think you are, but you're 19 or 20. You don't really know who you are. You start to get this gut feeling, though. And people listening, they have that gut feeling like sales feels good or it doesn't. Accounting feels good or it doesn't. Human development or consulting. So you're starting to find what feels good inside you, but it's not what you did for a living. Well, the other cool thing that happened that probably this blessing in disguise is I, any kid that probably goes and plays in the SEC or at a big, you know, top, you know, big conference, big 10, Pac-12, whatever it may be, you think you're going to go to the NFL. But after my sophomore year, I had a couple of my friends that were all Americans and all SEC players that got drafted to the NFL that got cut. And I, right then and there, I'm like, if these guys you know, I was struggling to play special teams. I was third team linebacker. So I wasn't, wasn't a football star at Vanderbilt. I went from being a, you know, an all state football player in high school. I was pretty good at a, at a you know, decent high school, but when you start taking the best of the best from around the world and around the United States, it was a pretty sobering day when I saw my buddy, Carl Jordan get cut by the Cowboys. And I'm like, God, if this beast can't make it, I better get my butt to class and I better start focusing on academics, which was a really blessing in disguise. Because I think if had I gone to another school where it wasn't as competitive, I might have really looked back and thought I was going to you know, become an NFL player. And, and I thought I would make a career in, in sports. But that was a, a really you know, telltale moment and a pivot in reality for me, which I think was a, you know, taking, taking my inventory of skills and seeing what I was going to do. NFL was not one of them. And that led me to starting to look at what type of internship opportunities that I could tap into to start to really understand what I was good at and what I had passion for. And uh, I went to a seminar and this is another proactive thing. They, you know, the, the school offers seminars, but a lot of the kids in my football team, you know, they were too tired on us to go on a Saturday morning on the off season to go to a seminar, career seminar. But I did for some reason, because I wanted to learn more about what you know, what type of career and what the human development track could get me. And that's where I met a, a consultant named Bill Halbert. Um, he had a management consultant firm for Halbert and Associates. And, and right in the middle of the seminar, I asked, do you 
you know, do you have internships? And he said, well, how much, you know, how much do I have to pay you? I'm like, for free, I'll do it for free. And he says, meet me afterwards. So taking the initiative with, with Dr. Halbert, I was able to start an internship and, and literally work with this world-class management consultant. Uh, we would go, we'd take a helicopter to Murray of Ohio and we do management training and we would go down to Toyota and, and uh, Hyundai and do management training with them. So I was able to really learn about the whole extended education in terms of once you get out of college, how do you become world-class in sales and how do you become world-class in management and goal setting and time management and all those, you know, all these career, these, all these uh, educational tracks that he had, I started just listening to tape and I became a, you know, I'd go and work out and run and I'd listen to tapes on, on uh, corporate culture and learning about corporate culture as a, you know, junior in college made me really understand that there's a lot of different things that you don't learn in college that are opportunities afterwards that uh, opened my eyes to a lot of cool things. Are you enjoying the show thus far? We go through so many resources and links with this podcast, it's tough to keep up. I get it. That's why Matt and the rest of the team put together the Edge of Excellence Bundle. In it, you'll find different tools that relate to overarching themes and topics of the show. Things like disk assessment tools, time management strategies and tactics, stress and anxiety management tools, exclusive videos and episodes from this podcast that is not released anywhere else, and so much more. The best part? As a valued listener of the show, you can access the Edge of Excellence bundle 100% for free of charge. That's right, for simply being awesome and tuning in. To get access, all you have to do is go to www.collegeworks.com podcast and fill out the short form there for us to get the bundle over to you. Once again, it's www.collegeworks.com podcast. Now, back to the show. Back to your definition of excellence. You don't get into the top 0.1 or 0.01% without working harder, without listening to tapes, without investing time instead of wasting time. So you're doing all that. As soon as you decided you wanted to be great, or maybe it was high school, maybe it was college, you at the same moment decide, okay, I'm going to put more effort in. I'm going to do more. You probably noticed your friends doing it, but you would have felt horrible sleeping in. You have to be out there making it happen all the time. That's part of being excellent. It kind of just went back to, uh, you know, my, you know, my, my core values as a kid, which I didn't even know what core values were as a kid, but you know, my dad telling me, you're going to, you know, you're going to work and you're going to uh, get a job. And if you're not going to work at a job, you're going to do work around the house. So I'm thinking, well, hell, I'm not getting paid raking leaves at home. So I might as well go uh, be, do a paper route or become a caddy in which all things I did as a kid to uh, make a few extra bucks, which really ingrained in me that you know, you're not going to get anywhere without hard work. And that was something that my parents uh, really made me do. And uh, it, it stuck with me. You don't know you have core values until you sit down and write down your core values. Then you realize, oh, I do have them. So, and where do you get them from? You get them from the mentors that you find if you don't have them at home. You get them from the mentors at home if you do have them at home. You get them from friends that are supportive that lift you up and don't drag you down. You may get them from bad experiences that you want to be the opposite of, but they're, you're developing these values that you don't know are there until you write them down. And you have an interesting transition there. We talk, I mean, everybody on this show's worked hard. 
Everybody on the show is optimistic. Everybody on the show is trying out different things. But there's a fine line between realistic and optimistic. And you need to be optimistic to get anywhere in life. You need to ignore the naysayers. But you were open to the possibility that you wouldn't be an NFL player, even though that was your dream, even though that was your optimistic goal. Realism set in. And I don't know the solution. My brother was on the show. He said, give it a year. You'd given it many years, right? I don't know the solution to identifying the difference between being a dreamer and just never going to be able to get there. You're just a dreamer. I know the fine line between dreamer and optimistic. You got to have the skill set. You have to have the path. You have to have the system. But being optimistic and realistic, that's tough, right? When to say, okay, I've got to be real here. I'm so glad that Steve Jobs didn't get overly realistic. I'm so glad that Elon Musk didn't get overly realistic. But if Elon Musk wanted to play professional football, that probably would have been overly optimistic of him. So you're playing this fine line. You're looking at your opportunities. You're trying different things. And serendipitously, you meet Bill and he gives you this great job. Serendipitously, you take out of the seminar, not what the seminar was supposed to give. You take the person that's giving you the seminar. So your eyes are open. You're trying things out. You're open to serendipity. I think that's a lot of the process to finding your passion. And so you go into this consulting, you listen to these tapes. Then you got another job, right? Didn't you work for someone else? Well, Bill said, hey, I started I started selling his seminar and I got and I and I was doing a pretty good job with it. And he kind of said, Chris, you're pretty good at the sales thing. Why don't you take a look at this guy named Mark Stout? He's got this sales training program where he goes out and sells it. And he goes and he's a friend of mine. You might like that. So Bill turns me on to Mark Stout, which has this company called Dynamics Incorporated, which is a sales training company that works in the automobile industry. So I met Mark and Mark told me how I could make six figures coming out of college and working with this company. And I'm like thinking, wow, I'm, I remember going to chemistry. I, I went and had breakfast with him and I went to my chemistry class. And I'm writing out all, all these numbers on how I was going to make six figures. I'm like, why am I even in college? Let me, I want to, I like, I'm like, here's, I can make probably as much as a lot of some of the guys that just make a year or two of NFL money, I could within a year or two be making that kind of money working in the sales consultant business. So I remember having jobs lined up and while I was still a senior and doing internships and, and getting paid while I was still trying to finish up my senior thesis and graduate on time and working in the sales field, it really, you know, it started teaching me how important sales was. And, and if you could become good at sales and how, you know, really, I thought, you know, sales was specific to, you know, whether it be, you know, advertising sales or real estate or selling computer software, or the reality is sales is sales. And if you get good at sales, you can, you will have a job anywhere you want and be successful if you know how to sell. And that was really empowering knowing that I could probably go in with, you know, with a, if I could sell, I could find out what my passion is and sell what I love. And that's where I kind of made the shift from being successful in selling car sales seminars to realizing I either wanted to be in sports or I wanted to be in music or be in you know, some kind of entertainment. And, you know, it took me back to sports. And that's where I met um, a guy named Bob Depew, who was helping athletes get college scholarships. And I'm like, wow, who knows more 
about getting a scholarship than me. I got a scholarship for myself. You know, my father and I, when we were, I was a senior, we put together a highlight tape and I, we marked and we, we sent it out to colleges and I started talking to college coaches and we, you know, that I realized that, you know, the recruiting process had not changed at all since I went through it. And that the way I got my scholarship was pretty unique because we did a lot of marketing of myself uh, to the college coaches, which helped me get my scholarship to Vanderbilt. So just on a side note, you keep mentioning these names, the Bills, the Bills and the Bobs. Yeah. I <laughs> mean, um, you mentioned their first name. You mentioned their last name. I believe I've met two of those three people and I believe I met them and maybe all three at your wedding, right? Probably. I think you did. <laughs> um, well, you met Doug Mealy, Dougie. Um, Doug is a, a YPO buddy who he's on the board for Jimmy John's and he actually helped Jimmy John get started. And then there was another guy, a couple other guys that were pretty successful that have, uh, have been influential in my life that have helped me continually educate myself and, and, and grow. So, and I mentioned that you keep stating these names and these people came to your wedding. And by the way, I went to SoFi Stadium yesterday for the first time. Saw the Rams uh, 49ers game, last game of the season. I left a minute before the game was over because the Rams had clearly won. And then it went into overtime and the Rams lost. So uh, shame on the L.A. fans. Uh, but you're friends with the people that run SoFi. You're friends with the Jimmy John's people. And these all go back to high school. Your Jimmy John's relationship is from high school. Bill, Bill, Bob, Doug all these people there at your wedding. So in addition to working hard, in addition to looking for opportunities, in addition to being serendipitous, your path to excellence included, like so many of my guests, the art of relationship building because you love relationship building and you love people and you love giving and you love growing, right? Absolutely. That, you know, that's the one thing I think if, if I start looking at, uh, you know, the people say you are, who you know, who you hang out with and the more you are, you are the some, some of your five closest friends and by the people. Do you mean Mike Cato who pretends that he came up with that yeah. or Aristotle <laughs> who actually did come up with that? I, oh, I, well, I thought it was Cato for sure. Wasn't it? <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's Aristotle, Mike Cato. <laughs> yeah. You are the sum of your five closest friends. Right. And uh, well, the path of learning from others. And uh, that's why, you know, why, getting involved in YPO and EO has really helped me continue to grow. I mean, meeting uh, um, uh, Vern Harnish through you, Matt. I mean, guy uh, Vern Harnish, who wrote the book, The Rockefeller Habits. I mean, I think about how I took that book and, and really modeled the start of my company based on the Rockefeller Habits and followed it almost like a recipe book. You know, it said, well, if you can start a company, get it to a million, that's one benchmark. And if you can get it to, you know, in very few, I'll ever get to 50. I'm like, well, let's, make a 10 year plan to get it to 50 million. And, and I built this 2012 plan in 2002 to build NCSA uh, to get it to a $50 million company. And it's crazy how things work out when you write them down and you put a vision together and you use the whole smart goal approach, you know, specific, measurable, you know, uh, they're attainable. You record them over time and you check in, uh, monthly, quarterly, yearly to make sure you're on pace and have some people hold you accountable. That's really the recipe I've used and it's worked in business. And I am also applying it to my life and knock on wood. It's, it's, it's working all right there too. So you write it down, you have a vision, big goals, big dreams, but they have to be smart, specific, measurable, attainable, attainable, realistic, and timely. 
You're measuring it because what gets measured gets done. You've got accountability through your relationships. That's been your systems in sports. Other people would lift weights with you. You wanted to be the best in the state. That was your system in college, but you figured out chemistry is not your thing. So you move into this consulting thing. That was your system and your plan. When you got out of college, get to that six figures, which this was 30 years ago. So that's like 300 grand a year now. And then you're out there working with Bob, selling these services to get people scholarships. And you decide, I'm going to go off on my own and you start your business. So how did that happen? How does one go from the path to excellence to starting a business that in 10 years, you took the 50 million, then it got to 100 million. You sold uh, part of it to this big company that aligned with your values and your culture. How did the starting of the business work? Well, the, the main thing I think was confidence. And I think to, to step off into this unknown of, of you know, entrepreneurship where your, you know, your house is on the line and you, you know, your family's on the line, learning to sell. I knew that if all else failed, I could go out and sell, bring in enough revenue to run a company at a small scale down version and, and build it myself organically. And I think that was probably the biggest, I, I didn't start out wanting to be an entrepreneur and wanting to own my own company. I started out wanting to help kids and looking at my old high school team and realizing that every one of those kids on my team was good enough to play somewhere if they had only had the extra help like I did and maybe a, a few people helping them make better decisions and maybe if someone that could help them, you know, put their highlight tape together and communicate with colleges. So that passion of helping kids got channeled into a system of what did I use? How was I successful? But also how having a vision of being able to help lots of kids attracted other world-class talent that believed in the same thing. So when we started it, you know, when people saw that we wanted to change the world in terms of empowering leaders through sports, you know, that was something that and we wanted to help 100,000 kids a year at the time we were helping, you know, 500 kids a year to start off with. It was a big, you know, big, hairy, audacious goal, a BHAG. But when we mapped it out, people, people bought into it and we were able to you know, bring in kids from Yale and ice hockey player who's the president of the company now, Lisa Strassman former NFL guys like Izel Reese, who he runs, uh, he, he became our, our executive vice president who runs the whole NFL flag football division of our business. And there's, you know, we were able to, we have 800 former athletes. So when, you know, people start talking about the NCAA and how 400,000 kids are going pro in something other than their sport, but we're actually doing that. And we're actually making a difference in, in, in helping kids that would never have had access to these resources through our relationship with the Chicago public schools and through our sponsorship programs, where we're able to, to really have, you know, get ahead, you know, empowering leaders through sports to help you get ahead. So you can give back the whole kicker is the give back thing. And I think which uh, in today's, today's culture, uh, you know, the, the Gen wires are looking to do more than just make a buck. And, and that's something that I, I really like what I see about the kids that are, are, are coming into NCSA and, and are coming out of college. They're looking to be more than, you know, just financially successful. They're looking to be able to, to make a difference. And, and that's something where our culture comes in and, and I think has really played well with being able to recruit great kids who want to make a difference and help others. So uh, you start off a little bit arrogant, right? Because you've never done it before. You think you can. I think I can. I think I can. Confidence is earned arrogance. So 
you know, maybe a little arrogant. You're in Vanderbilt. I can go sell this thing. I can get on the helicopter and go talk to Toyota. But eventually you get the skills and you've listened to enough tapes to have real confidence. You've earned it. So you go off on your own. And, you know, how do you start a business? You find a problem that you're going to fix. You've got that photograph of you standing out in the picture of all the football players. One white guy. I've seen the photograph. It's in your book, right? The photograph. I've seen it in your book. I've seen, uh, by the way, his book, Chris Krause's book is called Athletes Wanted. If you want to get in touch with Chris Krause, you can find him on LinkedIn. If you want to work at NCSA, you have to have been a college or professional athlete to work at NCSA, don't you? You don't have to. You don't have to. But it just we we attract that. I mean, we have a lot of people that just maybe played sports, and and a common theme of the people who didn't play sports is God. I if I had NCSA, I would have played sports, but I didn't know. It's a lot of people think, well, you have to be this good to play in college. Well, the reality is, you know, seventeen hundred colleges out there, and everyone thinks you have to go D one to 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 play. And the reality is. There's 40,000 college coaches out there looking for kids in 32 different sports. And a lot of the best opportunities aren't D1. They're world-class Ivy League schools and Division three schools that educationally are as good, if not better, than any other place in the world. The University of Chicago's and the Wash U St. Louis's and, and the Ivy League programs. The UC Santa Barbara's. UC Santa Barbara's, 100%. You got the, you know, the, the, uh, the Occidentals and the Cal Poly Pomona's. I mean, the list goes on. If you start looking at the best colleges, more than half of them aren't considered Division One athletically. So I mean, the reality is understanding that early uh, there's opportunities for kids. If you really want to play, I've always said, if you really, really want to play and you have really good grades, there is a place for you. In the, in, and to be able to have sports on your resume, I've always said separates, your, separates you from 93% of other kids who don't get to play or nine, about 94% of the kids that go to college don't play sports. So just having, res, uh, you know, the fact that you played sports on your resume can be a game changer for you. So you got this passion, obviously just keeps coming out every, every time it's your turn to talk, boom, 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 just passion for sports, boom, boom, boom. You're missing it. Here's your opportunity. Let me help. Let me help. So you have this passion. You have this confidence. You decide to take your passion and build a business, which is usually what happens. You wanted to fix a problem. Kids at that time didn't know how to get their tapes out, didn't know how to get seen. You said numerous times you thought the coaches would just come to you. No, you've got to go to the coaches. So you build this business out of your passion. People buy into your passion. You drag in other people that are on their road to excellence. You build this company. I said 100,000 people. I meant 100,000 people a year that you're helping find these scholarships for. And uh, you turn it into a game. I know your, your business was famous in Chicago for the culture. Uh, I know I've toured it a couple of times with the TV screens and everything was a game and everyone's playing against each other, but with each other on the same team. And one day uh, it was the rain group, right? Comes to you and they, they own quite a few different athletic ventures, including uh, they have, what's the one that Joe Carr has? He has nitro circus he has the uh, World Surf Contest League, WSL. Um, they've got Bob Deirdrick, all this different action sports. You're, they've got NCSA helping people get into college. What made you decide that they were the right group to give your baby to or half your baby? Their leadership were all athletes, and that's what really separated them. I mean, uh, uh, this guy named Russ Piller, who was uh, he, at one point he was ahead of um, – all of the uh, entertainment with um, 
uh, Comcast uh, marketing. He played, he played rugby at Brown. Uh, there's a guy named Joe Ravitch who played football at Williams College. Uh, there's a guy named Jeff Sign who played baseball at American University. These are the lead, the guys who founded the Rain Group, which is a, a merchant bank, which is related. I mean, they invest money from the, the from the guy, everyone from Mubadala at the United Arab Emirates to the guys over at um, William Morris and WME. And that's where we ended up buying the rest of the NCSA was actually Endeavor, which they own the UFC and IMG, which were perfect strategic partners. When I wrote our 2012 and 2020 plan of NCSA, I, I wrote that we would partner with IMG at some point. Well, they ended up buying NCSA, which became a per perfect partner for us uh, at the IMG Academies down in Bradenton. So the fact that they believed and they saw what we were doing and empowering these athletes, the fact that they know the model of helping athletes get to where they want to go through an academy like IMG and, and, and they're sports minded. They, you know, they believe in creating a championship culture. And one of the people that I've gotten to be close with her name, is Sue Inquist. She was a softball coach for UCLA, the most decorated softball coach ever. She's won like 10 national titles. Uh, she talks about team uh, championship culture and the team knows where they're going. They know how they're going to get there. Each team member knows their role, does their job. It's a safe place to fail where they encourage failure because you learn from your mistakes, make it safe to fail. And then the last thing is have fun. I mean, if you're going to do all this work, you might as well have some fun doing it. So that whole idea of, you know, knowing where you're going to go, how you're going to get there, knowing your role, making it safe and having fun uh, was something we did at NCSA. And that's something that um, when Russ Pillar and the, and the guys came to NCSA and said, we just, we don't want to change your culture. We love your culture. We just want to help you get there faster. And in uh, their assets and, the, and their talent that they had um, made it a really great strategic career or strategic choice to, to partner with. And, and literally, I think about 90% of our, our top executive team you know, this is six, seven years after our first initial, after the merger, are still uh, running the company, and you know they're growing it. They've grown it to over two hundred million in revenue, and it's and it continues to grow. So there's a lot to this story. And by the way, for the listeners that want to hear more of Chris's story, you could pick up his book, Athletes Wanted. It has the whole story of starting the company, the story of the culture, the story of building the culture. Um, but the short version partners, employees, investors, you need to align the culture. So in this case, your investors wanted to be part of your culture, but their culture was similar. It was aligned. They knew what the culture was. You need to align passions. You need to align vision. And in your case, a lot of people are aligning experiences, which led um, your business to actually start achieving even faster, even bigger growth under this new, larger, yet similar team. You found the right match when you found someone to invest in your business, just the same way as you found the right match when you found someone to be the president of your business, just the same way as you found the right match when you hired your first, second, and third employees, right? The culture, the passion, the vision, all aligned. The things I learned quickly was I was things I was really good at and there was things I was not good at. And understanding that it's okay to not be good at some things, as long as I had the ability to recruit someone who is really good in those in those positions. So the whole idea is that you know the strength overused 
can become a, a, a deficit uh, or same thing as a, a weakness acknowledged can become an asset. Well, acknowledging weaknesses in, in recruiting and, and making sure we were able to build scaffolding, I called it, around our corporate culture to be able to bring people in to show, to show them where they could come in and be a superstar at certain positions where we needed it, helped the team, helped confidence, and helped us grow. And, uh, and I think that was one of the biggest things that I learned early is, you know, do, you know if I could spend 90, 100% of my time uh, building relationships, working on corporate culture, uh, recruiting great talent, that's what I was good at. And that's what I did. And the found someone, I have a swimmer that went to Illinois state who still that we've recruited to, to become our CFO. He is now the CFO for reigning champions. He's still to this day, bringing in an operations um, lady, uh, Lisa Strassman, who played ice hockey at Yale. She runs operations and, and uh, same thing with Rick McDowell, who runs a, he was a, a football player from, Northwestern, who's, you know, running our, uh, our relationships with the colleges. There's, you know, those are the people that I find it really um, amazing that if you write a, a vision down and you stick and align with what you know, you attract people that are a lot better at you in a lot of places, which enabled us to do what we've done. The vision, the plan, the values all written down so you can attract the right people to fill in for your weaknesses and therefore you can focus on your strengths. I got to ask you, you're sitting at your beautiful place that you're just about to rebuild in Manhattan Beach, probably went surfing today or paddleboarding. You got those wonderful kids that you spend a bunch of time with. Is where you're at now surprising to uh Previous Chris, high school Chris, would high school Chris be surprised where 56-year-old Chris is nowadays? Uh, high school Chris would not ever known this could ever exist. And that's what, what's been really rewarding in terms of I had goals written down in high school. And if the goal in high school was to go to college and get a job and live in Chicago, well, I did that. And then I started realizing, wait a minute, there's you know other things beyond just living in Chicago, and then you know being coming a father and, and and getting married and 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 being able to do some things at board levels now, and and being able to work on my fitness and discover surfing and and stand up paddling, which is which keeps me fit and focused and sharp, and and also looking at some other opportunities in terms of give back. Now I'm you know looking at doing some things at at my college, um, you know working on. Uh, a plan to be able to have some sustainable give back with athletes at Vanderbilt. And that's been a lot of fun ways I can give back to my old high school and also helping other guys that run and gals that run businesses at the board level through YPO and EO has been, been really rewarding to be able to share the story and, but continuously learn. I mean, I, I get to read a lot more and I actually audiobooks since I have dyslexia, I had read, read too many books in my lifetime, but being able to get, uh, get on board with podcasts and audiobooks and teaching my son about investing in cryptocurrencies and things like that have been a, been a lot of fun to be able to continue to, to learn and grow and and I think if uh, if you're when you're green you grow and when you're ripe you're rotten and it's been some a, a passion of mine to continue to learn and grow and and help others is is giving me a lot of purpose along the way and 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 doing this for you Matt and hopefully maybe if it if I can share something that helps somebody uh, that makes me happy too. 
So high school Chris didn't know that 56-year-old Chris was a possibility, but you wrote it down, you made a plan, you wrote it down again, made another plan, wrote it down a third time, made a third plan, on and on and on, and kept raising your bar on those goals because nobody knows what they're capable of until it's happened. And then you're ripe, so you got to raise the bar again, go back to green. Well, Chris, I got one last question for you. Thinking back, way back in life, what sacrifices did you make that you'll never regret? I think the, the biggest sacrifices that I, I will never regret was just the work, putting the time into work, building that muscle, that that muscle memory of work ethic, I think is the is the the the, the key ingredient that has helped me continue to drive and strive for excellence and and grow. That work along with um with you know, with family relationships and really trying to be a good guy to my wife and my my parents and my my sister and my nephews and my friends human relationships uh, and and being a good being a good person and giving back and investing investing time in relationships and investing time and and being able to work hard I think were the the two biggest drivers for me that continue to 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 work for me. In the long term, no one regrets doing the right thing. It may hurt right now, but you never regret in the long term doing the right thing. You never regret in the long term building relationships and you never regret in the long term hard work. Chris, thank you so much for making time out of your very, very busy day of sitting on boards and running big companies and helping out your buddies and helping out your kids and having a little bit of fun. Thank you for being on the Edge of Excellence. Thank you, Matt. God bless. Love you, brother. Take care. Love you too. I hope you enjoyed that episode today on the Edge of Excellence podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you are listening to this. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share this exact episode with them. This show exists to showcase what is possible when young leaders are willing to step out of their comfort zone and choose to excel in their lives. To learn more about our internship for young and ambitious students, www.oneinternship.com slash podcast to see if it's something that makes sense for you. Once again, it is www.oneinternship.com slash podcast. Let this be a reminder for you to live on the edge of excellence in your business and life. See you next time.